Take your Bibles this morning. Open up to Daniel chapter 6. Probably Daniel chapter 6 is the most well-known children's story. It is Daniel in the lion's den. And so if there's one chapter in the book of Daniel that jumps out uh, to our memory, it's this one because we've read it from our childhood. Now, I trust parents that you are reading the scriptures to your children uh, and that they do know these Bible stories. But uh, I, I, I thought I would have a little humor and camp on this chapter for the next quarter. I mean, when you read this chapter, there's that much material in there. All right. You have integrity. Uh, you have uh, the story of the angel of the Lord protecting uh, Daniel. You have the story of a pagan king uh, maybe putting his trust in God. Uh, you have the story of envy and jealousy. So, I mean, there's all kinds of topical messages that you could preach on uh, from this particular story. Now, today, I uh, have enlisted the help of a friend. His name is Lehman Strauss. And um, so the outline uh, that you'll see on the screen comes from his book on uh, Daniel chapter 6. Uh, Lehman Strauss is, I don't believe, with us anymore. So when you hear me say a friend of mine on my bookshelf, all right, you know that I'm talking about a commentary. And so he put this together, I think, in a, in a really good package for us to consider today. Now, we've been going through, and each chapter uh, really contains the theme of the book, is that God's sovereignty is our security, that we are secure in God's sovereign power. We're going to see that Daniel is secure in God's sovereign power because God shuts the, the mouth of the lions, and they don't eat Daniel. Um, and Daniel comes out of the lion's den the very next morning. And so we see the sovereignty of God and his power and the fact that we are secure in God's hands. Now, there are some things in here that we need to understand. Never does God's sovereignty negate man's responsibility to have faith. And so look with me at the very end of this particular chapter and you'll see how Daniel chapter 6 is summarized. Um, actually, verse uh, 27, and I'm reaching for the remote and not my glasses. All right, so look here at this. Verse 27, He rescueth and he worketh signs and wonders in heaven and on earth, who hath delivered Daniel from the power of the lions. So this Daniel prospered in the reign of Darius and the reign of Cyrus the Persian. And so it talks about Daniel's faith being part of this, all right? And verse 22, my God hath sent his angel and shut the lion's mouth. They have not hurt me for as much as before him innocency was found in me. And also before thee, O king, I have done no hurt. And then look at the end of verse 23, the last phrase, because he believed in his God. Now, at what point is the sovereignty of God and the responsibility of Daniel to trust in him? The lion's den, where do those meet and interact? I can't tell you. All I can tell you is that there is a sovereign God that's protecting him, but God does credit Daniel's faith. And you'll see that his faith takes action at several points in today's narrative and today's story. And it will show us that we are secure in our sovereign Lord. Now let's look at the primacy of Daniel here in the first three verses. It pleased Darius to set over the kingdom 120 princes, which should be over the whole kingdom. And over these three presidents, of whom Daniel was first, that the princes might give account unto them, and the king should have no damage. Then this Daniel was preferred above the presidents and the princes, because an excellent spirit was in him, and the king thought to set him over the whole realm. Uh, Daniel was a man of integrity. There's uh, 120 men, well actually probably 122 if you count the other two presidents, that are under the king. And so he's got an excellent administration of his kingdom going. But Daniel is preferred above the other 120 some plus men because an excellent spirit is found within him. And if you can kind of read between the lines here, can you imagine what, the, what these men must be thinking if you've got Daniel over them? 
uh, it says here, to give accounts unto them that the king should have no damage. Does the king trust the 120 men that are underneath him? Are they going to be skimming uh, some of the, the wealth from, you know, the treasury? And so is everything going to be done with integrity and honesty? Well, he must not have thought so. As he said, Daniel, who's a Jew, who's a foreigner, above them. And so here I think we can see that Daniel, if he lived in our day and age, we would say that he was a spirit-filled believer. He was under the control of the Holy Spirit. And he was a trustworthy person. Uh, Paul puts it this way to the Corinthian believers. Um, that we're stewards of God's grace. And he says, moreover, it is required of a, of a steward that one be found faithful. So are you entrusted with certain responsibilities at work? Be faithful with those responsibilities. Um, are you faithful with your marriage covenant? Are you faithful in your parenting? Are you faithful with the gospel that has been given to you? Daniel was the kind of man that King Darius could trust because he was faithful. He was filled with the Holy Spirit. There was an excellent spirit that was within him. And he's protecting the king. He's protecting the administration of government. And so we, we see uh, that this causes Daniel to be preferred uh, above them all. Now, at this particular point, Daniel was most likely in his 70s or his 80s. Um, he's gone from being a teenager, and he's now advanced to being a senior. And so he's been around quite a long time. He survived all of the turmoil of the Babylonian kingdom, and now he's in his second kingdom. So this is the stage that, that is here. Now remember, uh, back in chapter 2, uh, the king Nebuchadnezzar had a dream, and he saw four kingdoms. And then a fifth kingdom coming from heaven, a stone made without hands that came and smashed the image upon its feet and it fell down. And Daniel, through interpretation, uh, was given wisdom by the Holy Spirit and said, You, Nebuchadnezzar, are this head of gold, and after you comes a kingdom that is not as mighty or strong as you. Well, that's the Medes and the Persians. And so the chest and the arms of silver, kind of that uh, dual Medes and Persians. And so Daniel was in that second kingdom. Daniel has good reason to trust God. Do we not have good reason to trust God? God never fails us. He never disappoints us. And we should be faithful to God as he is faithful to us. And so he's in this second uh, empire now. And so he's responsible for receiving the reports um, from the 120 um, presidents that are over the kingdom and the other two princes, and he has to bring them, then Daniel has to bring them to the king. But an excellent spirit was in him. Uh, can you say that an excellent spirit could be found in you? So when people view you, do they have to kind of spur you on and motivate you to, to work, right? Uh, I'll be honest with you, I think I've shared this story before, but um, when I was a young man, I worked at a place called Jack's Discount Store. It's kind of like our Walmart today or our Kmart. And um, I was in the automotive department and everything was going great, and, but that was a part-time job and I applied for the full-time position down in, in actually in full-time in hardware and I applied for the uh, position in automotive. And uh, the new manager that I was under, we just didn't get along. And I lost my motivation. And uh, I didn't, I even actually lost my testimony as a believer. So he was going to fire me, he brought me in, in one day and said, I want to fire you, but before I fire you, let's have a talk. Well, I didn't lose my job, but uh, I certainly lost my testimony because I would show up late. I would take, you know, an extra 15, 20 minutes on my lunch hour. And so an excellent spirit definitely was not found in me. And so that threatening of being fired, that certainly turned me around, all right, and got me doing what I should be doing, uh, not because it was just, you know, right for the company, but because I had the name of Christ upon me. But how are you in the workplace? Is an excellent spirit found within you? 
And so he was preferred above all of the others. Now let's move on. Let's look at what happens here. There's a plot then that's raised by these men against Daniel. Then the presidents and the princes sought to find occasion against Daniel concerning the kingdom. Perhaps the dual sins of envy and jealousy are being stirred here. All right. Um, now I do remember that uh, when I took another job up in Sonora, California, uh, working for a subcontractor for the utility company. I mean, I had a very important job, and that was to make dirt circles around the bottom of the transformer poles, right? I mean, that was my job, 11 feet out all the way around, you know, that circumference. And um, so it was really not a glorious job at all. And how I got the job was a little piece of hardware had fallen off one of the transformer cans that fell on the grass, and it started a great big, huge grass fire. Well, PG&E burned down their own substation and the county was out power with, uh, for two or three days. And so then they had to hire a uh, hundred men to follow all of the circuits uh, that PG&E had uh, you know, overhead and to look at all the transformer can poles and uh, if they needed to be abated underneath then to you know, use whatever uh, chainsaw, weedier, or McLeod. Anybody know what a McLeod is? All right. It's what firefighters that are dropped from helicopters to fight forest fires use. It's, a, it's an iron square plate. It's sharp on one ridge and then it has teeth on the other. And that thing can chop down trees that are about three or four inches around. And they just make a chain that's one foot wide and just go through and make a fire break with that thing. But I use that. I digress from the Bible, all right? But anyway, uh, over 100 men were hired for that job. And they said to us, at the end of the summer, there's only four that get to keep their jobs. And that was some motivation. As a young father, um, getting ready to have our second child, uh, desperate to find work. I mean, it took about three months to find that job. And uh, I showed up to work on time. I remember one morning I woke up late and I was gonna make it to the job site late, but I did have a cell phone and I called the manager and I said, I am so sorry, this is the first time I've been late and you need to know that I'm on my way right now. He said, it's a good thing because we were setting uh, a, a trap today and uh, the foreman is down at this main intersection tracking who's late. And so that could have been my job that morning. So God was watching out for me. And, uh, but I was one of the four that kept the job at the end of the summer because there was an excellent spirit that was found in me. Um, I could go on for hours. I learned so many important spiritual lessons uh, from that job. One is really that you can't stand alone as a Christian. You need a partner. And in that job, you needed partners. And there were so many times where I needed help. I got myself into some pretty precarious situations working for the power company. But envy and jealousy, uh, these can cause some great problems. And uh, many times believers uh, who do have an excellent spirit, unbelievers in their workplace might have an envious or a jealous spirit. And that's exactly what happens here. And so they're finding some occasion against Daniel concerning the kingdom. So perhaps they're um, auditing his work, they're being extra critical, and the result is they could find none occasion nor fault. They just couldn't find it. He, he's a man of integrity. Uh, do you know what the word integrity means? Can I shake your head if you know what that? If you think you know what it means, shake your head. All right. So a person of good morals, of sound character. And so this is Daniel. They couldn't find an occasion against Daniel. And so then they say this um, in verse 4, As much as he was faithful, neither was there any error or fault found in him. Hey, do you know that's still a requirement for Christians in this day and age? Men, let me uh, preach to you for a minute. Can I step on a few toes here, guys? Will you give me permission to do that? You know, a New Testament church needs men to be leaders. 1 Timothy 3 gives us what God is looking for in men. He's looking for men whose character and reputation is above reproach. That's one of the qualifications for a deacon and a pastor. 
Where do deacons and pastors come from? They come from men in the congregation. So is your character such that you would be qualified to serve in office? Daniel was that kind of man. I think Daniel could have been a pastor or a deacon because he would meet the qualification. And so his character is without reproach. There's, there's no blemish in his character whatsoever. Now they do find something, however, in verse 5. Then said these men, we shall not find any occasion against this Daniel, except we find it against him concerning the law of his God. Now there's a couple of ways that phrase could be taken. Um, we're not going to find an occasion against him unless we find some fault in him spiritually. But I don't think that that's how this should be viewed. Because how many of you are without sin? I know I'm not without sin, right? Um, so I don't think that's what it means. I, I think what it means is we're not going to find anything against him unless we make up a law that says he can't practice his faith. All right? And you'll see that I think that's the best interpretation when it comes to how you see this passage and what this phrase means. And so Daniel here, there's a plot against him. But, you know, how, how could we live with our conscience? Now, look at later on what Daniel says when the king comes to him and says, Daniel, are you still alive? Look at verse 22. My God has sent his angel and has shut the lion's mouth that they have not hurt me. For as much as before him, innocency was found in me. And also before thee, O king, have I done no hurt. His conscience is clear. Guys, men, is your conscience clear? You got some skeleton that you're hiding? Confess it, forsake it, repent of it, put it away. Daniel goes into a lion's den and sometimes when we get into fiery troubles, we're like, yeah, I deserve that, All right? Daniel wasn't thinking that when he was in the lion's den. Is that huge lion is roaring at him, All right? Daniel's like, I'm a man of integrity. My conscience is clear. The apostle Paul could say that his conscience was clear. He said that in Philippians 2.15. He said it in 1 Timothy 3.7. He said it in Acts 24.16. So a clean conscience. Now, so what they're going to do is they're going to make a law that basically says Daniel can't practice his faith. So verse 6, Then these princes and uh, presidents assembled together to the king and said unto him, King Darius, live forever! And all the presidents of the kingdom and the governor and the princes, the counselors and the captains have consulted together to establish a royal statute to make a firm decree that whosoever shall ask a petition of any God or man for 30 days, save of thee, O king, he shall be cast into the den of lions. Do you think that's true? Do you think they asked Daniel for his input? So there's a little bit of a falsehood there, isn't there? Um, yeah, the 122 of us get together and we're picking on Daniel. And we've all agreed that Daniel should go to the lion's den because we know that we're going to get him into trouble. Because we know the law that we're going to propose, that you can't pray to anybody uh, except to the king. We know that Daniel's going to keep on praying to the true and the living God. And we know we're going to trap him. But we all did this together lie, all right? They didn't include Daniel in that kind of thinking. And obviously then they're trying to flatter the king, all right? Oh, king, live forever. That means live a little bit longer, all right? Uh, we don't want you to die right now. Um, and so then they come in here and they have this royal statute, this firm decree. Now, verse 8. Now, O king, establish the decree and sign the writing that it be not changed according to the law of the Medes and the Persians, which altereth not. Wherefore, King Darius signed the writing and the decree. So here's what it essentially says. There's not a person in the Persian Median Empire 
that is supposed to pray or worship anybody but the king. Now, that's oriental thinking where they view their monarchs as gods. And so Darius is flattered by that. And he thinks, man, it's a pretty good idea. I would like to be admired in that way. Uh, But he's forgetting something. And that's his most trusted, faithful uh, advisor, Daniel, is not going to go along with this. And so the law of the Medes and the Persians was once you signed it, it could not be revoked. There was no veto power. There was no Supreme Court to say it was unconstitutional. There was no appeal. I mean, once it was done, it was done. There was no recourse. Now to us, in our democracy, we think of a country whose laws are so inflexible that they can't be changed. We think of that as weak. All right. Well, put yourself in their shoes. Man, those people are so fickle, they change all the time. All right. They're thinking that we would be weak, all right? So, but the point here is this. It seems as if there's no way out that these presidents, these counselors have made a a, a foolproof trap. There's the certainty of that. And so this thing is fixed. Uh, they, They can't get out of it. Now, You know, here's what we celebrate as Christians. In the gospel, Pilate told the Jewish leaders, here's the seal. Go make the sepulcher of Jesus secure. They went with the Roman soldiers and they put the seal on it and they thought when they sealed that tomb, that was unalterable. They thought that it was all done. Well, that was Friday, but then Sunday came. Amen? And that's why we're here today, is because as man proposes, God is actually able to dispose. God can do what man cannot. And God can change things where the men think that things are so fixed and firm, uh, but God is a sovereign God. How did Daniel react to such a law? Well, verse 10, now when Daniel knew that the writing was signed, he went into his house and his windows being opened in his chamber toward Jerusalem, he kneeled upon his knees three times a day and prayed and gave thanks before his God as he did what? Aforetime. So this was Daniel's practice. So here's another topic and why I wasn't really joking when I said you could preach 13 messages from this chapter. You could preach on prayer from this chapter. Uh, Daniel is not going in in defiance to his home and throwing the the shutters open and going, hear ye, hear ye, I want to get on my knees and pray in defiance of the king. No, Daniel's window was open and he prayed three times a day out of habit based upon scripture that actually was written by King Solomon that said, if God's people become idolatrous and break the law and God punishes them and sends them away to a foreign land, then they should pray three times a day towards Jerusalem. And so that was written in scripture and Daniel knew that writing. And so that's why he's praying it. But this is his customary habit. And so the the prayer life of of Daniel here, um, in verses 10 and 11, he does this all the time. Now, verse 11, then these men assembled and found Daniel (gasps) praying and making supplication before his God. Oh, so many people get offended when you pray in Jesus' name, right? Um, Get your, you know, lose your job over that. Well, Praise the Lord that there are certain constitutional protections and that our chaplains in the military have freedom still today to pray in the name of Jesus. Uh, there have been some that have had some rough superiors over them, but those are isolated cases. But for the most part, that's still a freedom that's there today. And uh, when we go to civic events and if we're asked to pray, we could pray in Jesus' name. Um, but they know that Daniel is praying. 
Let me ask you this question. Just probe your conscience. Do you pray once a day? Is it something that is a habit in your life? Maybe others don't need to know, but maybe just between you and the Lord, do you pray? Uh, Daniel was praying three times a day. Uh, it was based upon the, the sacrificial system of the law that there were sacrifices that were given in the morning, in the afternoon, in the evening. And so there was a time of prayer associated with those sacrifices. Um, I remember years ago, uh, I was at Safeway in Pleasant Hill and it was sunset. And uh, as the sun was going down, uh, I was shocked. Here was this Muslim man. He was carrying a little mat in his arms and at a certain time he just rolled his mat down on the sidewalk and he, he was facing east and he started praying. Now, obviously I know that that's not the true and living God who's going to be hearing his prayers, but what courage, what discipline was that to, to pray? And we're afraid to pray for our lunch in a restaurant. Oh, don't want people to think I'm one of those crazy Christians, right? Doesn't mean you have to stand up at the table and announce to the restaurant, everybody be quiet, we're going to have a word of prayer over here. No, it doesn't mean you have to do that. But with your family and your friends, you can offer a word of prayer. And if people observe you, then they observe you. But don't be afraid to pray. Daniel knew that the law had been signed, and he went and prayed. So there's a limit here, I think, that, that we see that God comes first. Um, let me just state this. You know, Romans 13, 1 says, Let every soul be subject unto the governing powers, for there is no power that exists except for God ordained it. The church and the state are now, I believe, in a new relationship with one another in the history of our country. Now, you know, this nation was founded upon religious freedom because in Europe, you couldn't worship God, but only at the dictate of the state. And that's why so many of the colonists left England was to be able to worship in a different way because they, they couldn't worship God according to conscience in England. They had to worship the Anglican way. So Maryland became Roman Catholic. Rhode Island was Baptist. Um, you have Pennsylvania that was Quaker. You have Massachusetts, which was Congregationalist. Uh, each of the, the different states had their religious view of, of worship, freedom of worship. And so the idea was that the state does not dictate to the church how to worship God. But at the same time, uh, when the Constitution was being worked out, um, the Baptists in uh, Connecticut were very concerned that there be a strict separation between church and state, that the state not tell the church how to be run, nor should the church tell the state how to be run, because they were mixed together. Um, this is why in Germany, there was a tax upon the people to pay for the Lutheran church. This is why in England, there was a tax upon the people uh, to pay for the English church. The ministers were actually paid by the taxes of the different estates. And it was paid to the crown, and the crown paid the clergy. And so there was that, that mix there that America is a unique country where there's to be a separation of church and state. And so as I was saying, we're, we're heading into a new time in our nation where I think the state is being emboldened in trying to tell the church now what to do. Folks, you need to have a backbone to stay no to that. And there are certain things that we're going to be in conflict with the state. Now, I'm not trying to be a prophet in any way here, but... Just logically, the, the way that this is, is coming down the pike here in the state of California, there is so much LGBTQ indoctrination and child care and in child abuse protect, uh, protection things that eventually they're going to work this into the code uh, for the well-being of children 
where if a church stands up and says, no, that that would be sin, and that exposes the minor to the scripture and causes them to have guilt, well, then the church is at fault for causing mental anguish upon a minor. We could be punished for that in the future. That's just kind of the direction that this is going to go, where that would be considered child abuse, all right? Never mind the fact that what the state is doing to children right now to God is child abuse. All right. Some of you need to get that backbone. All right. Should have been a strong amen on that. We're going to have this battle in the future. And we're going to have to say, as Peter said, we would rather obey God than men. And so we may face civil penalties. We may face persecution. We're heading into a time period where the state and church don't have that symbiotic relationship anymore. And people in our society are, are filled with vitriol hate. If you read the, the comments at the bottom of political posts, that there's interaction of church and state. Now, there are certain Christians that are making mistakes politically where they're trying to tell the, the state what to do. No, that's not what the church is to do. All right. Uh, we're to submit to the governing authorities unless they violate scripture. But government is not autonomous in and of itself. And our political leaders need to know that their authority comes from God, not men, not democracy. Democracy does not give people authority. Only God gives people authority. And so we believe that all people are created, what, equal? Created? That involves a divine being, a creator, right? So we have to be careful. Um, we're heading into this time period, and uh, this is not a surprise. This has always been the course throughout human history. People of faith and the state collide. And here you see a collision between state and faith. And so these presidents, these counselors, they made a law against the practice of faith. You can't pray to anybody but the king. And that was a collision because Daniel, when he knew that the writing was signed... He went in and just continued his habit, as he had always done. And so then they assembled and they found Daniel praying and making supplication before his God. It wasn't a surprise to them. They knew that he would do this. Daniel knew what he would do. And so that's why they made the law. Verse 12, Then they came near and spake before the king concerning the king's decree, Hast thou not signed a decree that every man that shall ask a petition of any God or any man within 30 days, save of thee, O king, shall be cast into the den of lions? The king answered and said, The thing is true according to the law of the Medes and the Persians, which altereth not. Then they answered and said before the king, That Daniel. You remember when Elijah the prophet had to confront Ahab? that Ahab greeted with Elijah, is it you who trouble Israel? You prophet, you're causing us trouble. And well, no, it was the other way around. And so I can just imagine that they're thinking Daniel's the source of all these problems. That Daniel, all right, which is of the children of the captivity of Judah, regardeth not thee, O king, nor the decree that thou hast signed, but maketh his petition three times a day. You know what? King, Daniel's going against your ego. He's praying to his God. He's not praying to you. And so insult, you know. And so here he maketh this petition three times a day. He's doing this as a habit to defy you. Now this leads us to our, our next point here. And this is the powerless king. All right, verses 12 through 17. So we left off in 13. So let's go to 14. Then the king, when he heard these words, was sore displeased with himself. Man, I made a mistake. I really blew it. So he set his heart on Daniel to deliver him. And he labored till the going down of the sun to deliver him. Is there any legal way out of this? Is there any way to change this? Is there any help? Is there anything I can do for Daniel? Then these men assembled unto the king and said unto the king, Know, O king, that the law of the Medes and the Persians is that no decree nor statute which the king establishes may be changed. So even the king is not above 
the law. We got him! Yes! We got the king! Daniel's going to lion's den. Yeah. All right. And the king is powerless to, to do anything. He's trapped by his own hand. But remember, when man's hands are tied, there is a sovereign hand that's at work. God will deliver. Look at verse 16. Then the king commanded, and they brought Daniel, and cast him into the den of lions. Now the king said unto Daniel, Thy God, whom thou servest continually, he will deliver thee. So there's some expectation, even from a pagan king, that God has power to do what he cannot do. And that was that he could not deliver. Um, you know, I think, it, well, the scripture even says it. All right. Um, verse 18, then the king went to his palace and passed the night fasting. Neither were there instruments of music brought before him and his sleep went from him. Um, he spent a sleepless night. It was all worked up. How many of you like sleepless nights? Oh, don't we love those? All right. Um, best advice that my dad gave to me was to keep a notepad by the bed. Um, so you can do that or you can put your cell phone there. Now, keep your cell phone away from you so, you know, those texts in the middle of the night don't wake you up. Those social media alerts don't wake you up. You know, those cell phones are not good for sleep. Uh, try to keep them as far away. But just put something nearby that you can write down your thoughts and then go back to sleep. Commit them to the Lord. That might help you get some sleep that night. But he's, he's all restless. Now, I can imagine, on the other hand, however, by this time, Daniel's all curled up and fuzzy warm. Maybe he's got several tails wrapped around him like blankets, just keeping him as snug as a bug in a rug, right? And he's just happy. I mean, isn't it fun when a kitten or a cat sleeps on you, right? If you're a dog lover, no. <laughs> okay. Uh, some of you don't like cats, you know, the best cat's a dead cat. No. All right. So I'm just an animal lover. I had cats and dogs and birds and fish and everything else growing up, right? Um, but there's just something fun about that. And I can imagine that Daniel was at peace and he was just all cuddling with the lions that night as the king paced back and forth and lost his sleep that night and was just all worked up about this. And so here's the divine sovereignty uh, over a powerless king and man's inflexible laws and man's best but futile attempts. They couldn't keep Jesus in the grave and they're not going to keep Daniel in the lion's den. So we see a powerless king. But now let's look at the power of God in verses 18 through 23. Uh, well, I, I, verse 17, let's go back there. And a stone was brought and laid upon the mouth of the den and the king sealed it with his own signet, with the signet of his Lord's and the purpose might not be changed concerning Daniel. So, not going to change, but God, but God. Verse 19, Then the king arose early in the morning and went in haste into the den of lions. And when he came to the den, he cried with a lamentable voice unto Daniel. And the king spake and said to Daniel, O Daniel, servant of the living God, is thy God whom thou servest continually able to deliver thee from the lions? Then said Daniel to the king, O king, live forever! My God hath sent his angel and hath shut the lion's mouths that they have not hurt me. For as much as before him innocency was found in me, and also before thee, O king, have I done no hurt. Then the king was exceeding glad for him. Yippee! All right? And pulls him out. And so... We see that the power of God, um, this was the expectation of a pagan king. This was Daniel's expectation. Daniel had faith, trust in God. You know, when we pray, do we give thanks to God? Uh, notice that in verse 10, Daniel was giving thanks before his God. Wow. When Jesus went to the cross, he was thanking God. But you know, is our faith such that when we ask a request that we're telling God thank you at the same time for the answer? You see, there are a lot of important lessons that we can learn from this. So I think Daniel, when he knew that that law was signed, he was thanking God, I get to go to the lion's den. Thank you, God. 
Thank you, God. I know you're going to keep me safe. Praise your name. You're going to have an opportunity to show your great power. Just imagine how he prayed before his God. And the power of God. God is able. Did Darius really have to ask? Is thy God, whom thou servest continually, able to deliver thee from the lion's den? Occasionally we sing a song around here. He's able, he's able, I know he is able, I know my Lord is able to carry me through. All right, that's enough of the solo. But uh, he's able. We don't have to ask the question. We know God has the power to do this. And so the pagan king finds out that God is able. You know, according to Revelation chapter 5, verse 5, Jesus is known as the Lion of the tribe of Judah. Maybe he's not just Lord of Lords, maybe he's Lion of Lions. And he came that night and he said, Hey, little yappy cat over there, quit roaring, quit meowing. There, I muzzled you. All right? And it is command. He got those hungry lions and he muted them, put them on mute. And they couldn't even open their mouths. And so for the rest of the night, they were buddies with Daniel. Daniel was buddies with them. God shut their mouths. Now, on the other side of the imagery, the devil was known as a roaring lion that goes about seeking whom he may devour. Well, what does that tell us about God's power over that kind of lion? God will defeat him too. Already has defeated him at the cross. And will put him in a den that he will never get out of. And we have victory over the devil. Christ came to destroy the devil and his works. So God is able. The king was exceedingly glad. And faith, Daniel's faith, because I had faith in my God. You know, it, it's one thing for us to go into a trial and to be anxious and worked up, but it's another thing for us to go into trial thanking God and trusting him with the outcome. That was the kind of faith. So faith takes action. We learned that in Sunday school this morning with the children, that Rahab showed her faith by hiding the spies um, and then saying, he's the Lord of heaven above and the earth beneath. And so Rahab put her faith and then she showed her faith by hiding the spies. Daniel put his faith in the Lord, but I believe... One thing that's not in the text, but I believe it happened. I believe he got a sound sleep that night. He didn't stay up worrying whether he was going to be eaten or not. He just had faith that God had shut their mouths. So it says here in verse 23 that Daniel was taken up out of the den. So Daniel was taken up out of the den and no manner of hurt was found upon him because he believed in his God. Uh, every week I call my father and um, he's got some new injury from his cat. You know what the cat's name is? Ivan the Terrible. All right. Ivan seems to think it's a game when he goes to pull the, the arm on his recliner chair to put his feet up, that it's a game to beat him to that arm and to take a bite out of him. All right. So he's had to go to the doctor a couple of times, and I'm like, Dad, just get a new cat. All right. But uh, he, he can't get rid of that cat. He loves him too much. But uh, there was not a scratch on Daniel anywhere. And so Ivan the Terrible didn't scratch him, didn't get to bite him, uh, didn't do anything to Daniel. No manner of hurt was found upon him because he believed in his God. Verse 24, And the king commanded, and they brought those men which had accused Daniel, and they cast them into the den of lions, them, their children, and their wives, and the lions had the mastery of them and break all their bones in pieces or they ever came to the bottom of the den. Uh, in other words, folks, the lions were jumping in the air and snatching their bodies out of the air and breaking them in half before they ever hit the ground. And so they faced justice. Now, um, one commentator put it this way. This was the justice of a pagan king because... A Jewish king or a believing king did not exercise vengeance upon the wives or the children. 
As a matter of fact, the Bible says that the Son shall not bear the iniquity of the Father. Aren't you glad, fathers, that you don't have to bear the iniquity of your sons? And sons, aren't you glad you don't have to bear the sins of your fathers? Uh, Many years ago in India, the practice of sari, S-A-R-I, was put to a stop. That when a man died, his widow was burned alive to go into the afterlife with him. What had she done wrong other than he had died? And uh, today we have so many people cry, oh, Christian missions, they destroy countries when they go tell the gospel. Well, if that's one thing that destroyed India, praise God. All right. Few women have got to live and that practice was put to a stop. And so the gospel changes cultures. It certainly does. Now, changes cultures for the for the good. And so that's just an observation. It's just a little rabbit trail. But uh, that's how God exercises justice. It's just upon the person, not upon the whole family. Now, um, Let's look then at the proclamation of the king. We'll bring this chapter to a close. Verse 25, Then King Darius wrote unto all people, nations, languages that dwell on all the earth, peace be multiplied unto you. I just wish that our governor and legislature here in California would ask the church to have a day of prayer that we would get rain. I just wish that our president would ask for believing people in this nation just to pray for America. We don't even have a days of prayer anymore. Our leaders don't call for those kind of things. How sad. But here a pagan king can give testimony to the power of God throughout his empire about the true and the living God. And here's a, a decree that could not be changed. That in every dominion of my kingdom, men tremble and fear before the God of Daniel, for he is the living God and steadfast forever. And his kingdom, that which shall not be destroyed and his dominion shall be even unto the end. He delivereth and rescueth and worketh signs and wonders in heaven and in earth and who hath delivered Daniel from the power of the lions. Hey, there's a lot of spiritual truth in there. Here's another message, right? But notice that he is the living God. Idols are not living. Uh, There's only one living God. Notice here's another truth, that we should fear before him. Fear God and keep his commandments. Listen, if you're not here today in a right relationship with Jesus as your savior, you should be fearful. You should fear a God that can destroy both body and soul in hell forever. You should be afraid of the wrath and the justice of God. You know, our forefathers, when they sat under a sermon by Jonathan Edwards, their knuckles turned white because they knew that they were sinners in the hands of an angry God. And a great revival started because people knew that they had to come to repentance and faith in Jesus, the true and the living God. And is steadfast forever. Um, God's steadfastness, his loving kindness, his said, his, his covenant mercy and his dominion shall even be unto the end. God is still on the throne, folks. It may not be visible to us today, but one day it's going to be visible to the whole earth. We will see it. Do you believe in this God? Have you come to faith in Jesus Christ as the son of God? Have you acknowledged you're a sinner and you cannot save yourself? Religion will not do you any good. Getting wet in the baptistry tank is not going to do you any good. Only faith is what will save you. For by grace are we saved through faith and that not of ourselves. It is the gift of God, not as a result of works, lest any man should boast. We're all sinners condemned on an equal plane. We all need Jesus to be our Savior. He's the true and the living God. He was the one that was dead, but arose and is alive forevermore. He delivereth and rescueth. Hey, listen, Jesus loves to save. I know that on June 14th, 1988, he rescued and saved my life. And I can only say, thank you, Jesus. 
What's the day in the year that you got saved? Do you know? I was 20 years old. I was religious. I was at a Christian camp. But I wasn't right with God. And so he rescued me from my own sin and he saved me. So the proclamation of a king. Was this king a believer? I don't know. Maybe one day we'll see Nebuchadnezzar. Maybe one day we'll see Darius in heaven. But we do know what, how this chapter ends. <clears throat> it ends with the prosperity of Daniel uh, here in verse 28. So this Daniel prospered in the reign of Darius and in the reign of Cyrus the Persian. But this book of the law shall not depart from thy mouth, but thou shalt meditate therein day and night. So then thou shalt find thy way successful. And you'll have good success and you'll prosper. Listen, believer, God intends to do you good. He intends to prosper your life. I know where I was going as a sinner. And I can tell you that the outcome of that would have been death. So I know that he rescued and he delivered me, he saved me, and he's prospered my life. I trust that you as a child of God will realize how much God has blessed you, how much he's prospered you, and the great riches and in the inheritance that you have in Christ Jesus. Hey, we are joint heirs together of all things. You're a child of the king. Are you not prospered? Are you a slave to sin anymore? He has set you free. Do you pray to a, a, a dumb God, a God who has no ears? Or do you pray to a living God who has power and a heart to answer your prayers? You're prospering. Has God taught you how to live a moral life? Has God taught you how to be a good steward? You're prospering. You're being blessed because you're in subjection to the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. And so Daniel prospered and we will prosper when we trust in God and align ourselves with him. And so if you ever feel like you're in the lion's den, thank God for the opportunity and trust him to shut the mouths of the lions. God is a sovereign God and we are secure in his hands.